This is a Conversations with Criminologists podcast, brought to you by Criminology at University College Cork. This series was produced by Dr. Orla Lynch, with research assistant Helen Russell, and edited by Kevin Hosford. So, Professor Maggie O'Neill, University College Cork, can you tell me how you got into academia? Oh, hi, Helen. Um, well, first of all, I, I took a B.Ed., Um, So a Bachelor of Education Um, and my specialist subjects were Sociology and Creative Arts. So I guess that was the entrance really. Um, In the fourth year of my degree I got really grabbed by critical theory. Um, Had a fabulous lecturer um, called Conrad Lodziak uh, who introduced us to uh, fabulous social theory. The work of Adorno and Benjamin, uh, the Frankfurt School, Um, Giddens and Beck, Ulrich Beck, and that was it really, I was hooked. (laughs) So so a career in education and in primary education turned into um, an MPhil, (laughs) a PhD, and then, um, you know, posts as lecturer really in sociology, and then later in criminology as well. So can you tell me how you got into criminology in particular then? Sure. Um, my first empirical topic was um, a project in Nottingham, um, again in 1989, looking at um, prostitution in Nottingham. It was commissioned by Nottingham Safer Cities, and at that time there were a number of cities that were deemed at risk um, of crime and disorder, and Nottingham was one of them. Um, and funding was given to um, a, an organisation called Nottingham Safer Cities and the guy who ran it uh, he had had quite a lot of um, I guess um, kind of comments and critique about the, the growing numbers of sex workers on the streets um, but actually it was more to do with social class really because the women were working outside the more middle class residence, residences and um, also in the more multi-ethnic working class areas. So Nottingham is divided by a sort of main road leading out to the north and the street scene was on both sides, both the kind of more working class, multi-ethnic where I lived, um, and on the other side where it was more kind of middle class, you know, kind of professionals. Um, And there was basically a sort of not in my backyard, you know, campaign um, and so I was commissioned to do a study on sex work and um, so that I guess that was my in terms of subject area you know the the subject of prostitution connected with criminology but at the same time I was also um, uh, well I taught sociology at Nottingham Trent um, and then um, in 94, I moved to Staffordshire University um, and I developed what was probably the first ever module on sex work, um, crime, justice and sex industry or something like that. Um, and um, and, uh, and so my, my involvement in doing empirical research on sex work began in 1989. And so as a consequence of that, I connected to criminologists, um, but also the the more cultural sociology, kind of cultural studies work I was doing. So at Staffordshire, I taught across sociology, cultural studies, 
um, and women's studies. Uh, and I think the more kind of feminist, cultural, um, you know, work I was doing connected also to the development of cultural criminology. So I, I kind of describe, describe it as being adopted by criminologists, particularly the cultural criminologists. So um, at that point, it would be people like uh, Mike Christie, Keith Haywood. Um, it was very sort of male-oriented initially, crim criminology and cultural criminology in particular. The conferences were always great fun. Um, and, uh, and so I was kind of then, you know, both being, well, writing uh, and being read uh, and being invited to events that were criminological as well as sociological. So, um, so I guess my scholarship then, um, you know, took both paths. And obviously, you know, as an interdisciplinary scholar, uh, you know, it worked. Um, so you asked, just coming back to that first question, you know, how did you get into academia? I didn't, for a million years, you know, in a million years, think that I would end up where I am now. You know, because I went to university to do a teaching degree, to do a BA, thinking that I might want to teach. Um, and I do love teaching. Um, but the path to academia really was through this um, tutor who, you know, grabbed our interest, really. There's a number of us who mentored. Um, went on to do an MPhil at Bradford, uh, looking at Adorno's aesthetics and Adorno's aesthetics of modernism. That then became... Um, a PhD and I was looking at feminist aesthetics of modernism but my involvement in, in doing research on street sex work really kind of disrupted that path <laughs> and I realized that I couldn't go back to just doing theory but I needed to do research which actually made a difference so that was participatory or involved in change causing you know praxis um, and so my path was diverted then. Um, and I used the theoretical work I'd developed to analyze prostitution. It was, you know, in terms of terminology, it was prostitution back then. Obviously the, the terms have shifted in terms, you know, in relation to the politics of discourse. Um, but that really kind of set me on a more academic route. And I thought, I can't teach, I have to stay with this. Um, and ended up doing part-time hourly paid for four years. Um, and then I got a one-year contract at Sheffield, um, a sick leave cover, uh, and then a 0.5 point back at Trent, uh, where I'd done my degree. Um, and then I, they made me full-time after a year. And in that time, I had had two children. <laughs> so in 1984, 1985, both my sons were born. Um, and then in 94, I had a, a kind of what I, I call, I, I consider to be my first main post at Staffordshire University where I work with fabulous people, you know, and, that, and I think that's the other side of your path into academia, you know, it's the people who you work alongside and the, the influence they can bring to bear on your own thinking and, and the dialogue, you know. So there it was fantastic, you know, Chris Roget, David Jarry, Christine Gledhill, um, fabulous women sociologists. Um, and so I guess I was, formed there, um, you know, and, and, and um, Tracy Potts and um, Ruth Holiday as well, Tim Edensor, there was a, a group of us um, who, you know, really supported each other, but we were developing acad academics. <laughs>
what criminology work has influenced your work and how did it impact <coughs> the direction of your research? Okay, so I guess, um, first of all, it's feminist work. Um, and in relation to sex work, Gail Rubin, wonderful book called Sexual Deviations. Um, Gail Peterson, who wrote On Whore Stigma, and that was really important for me when I was doing first my first empirical research on streets, doing ethnography. Um, and also in relation to sex work, Eileen McLeod's work, she was a Marxist feminist, and she was her book Sex Work Now was really influential. Um, it really sort of helped me to make sense of my own, you know, my own theoretical underpinnings, really, my conceptual framework, which is absolutely, you know, a, a committed and, I guess, influenced by Western Marxism, you know, those the sort of principles of equality and justice. Um, but also, you know, the importance of feminist work addressing sexual and social inequalities. And then thirdly, that our work should make a difference, you know, so the the importance of praxis, you know, developing knowledge which is purposeful, which, you know, can unsettle trouble or, you know, enable us to think differently about something, about a topic. So I guess they are the two kind of main feminists. Susan Edwards, fabulous research. So there were kind of, you know, um, feminist theoreticians, social theorists who were looking at sex work or prostitution then um, through feminist theory, <clears throat> uh, through socialism or you know, Marxism, fem Marxist feminism. Um, and then for me, they were also, I was also influenced by activists. So um, Ruth Morgan Thomas, who is a, a former sex worker who uh, set up Scott Pep in Edinburgh, fabulous project supporting women on the street, women and men and trans workers. Um, Hilary Kinnell, um, who set up the SAFE project. I mean, these were the first outreach projects in the wave of the AIDS crisis and public health funding. Um, and then Karen Hughes, who I worked with on street in Nottingham. So in the, that small study I was invited to do by Safer Cities, um, I went out on the street first of all and talked to women. And I went with Karen, who was working then on her own as a sexual health outreach worker um, from her car, you know, with a flask of coffee and a bag of condoms. Um, and she was fantastic. You know, she really welcomed me and I learnt a lot from her and, on, and from the women I met on the street. Um, so that little small project, you know, of, I think it was three months, led to a five-year ethnography and working as, to support, you know, activists and projects like, um, well, Karen's sexual health drop-in, um, but also um, the research was happening at the same time as the development of a prostitute outreach organisation in Nottingham called POW, run by two amazing women, Sue and May. Um, again, former, you know, experiential workers, they'd worked in the industry and they'd set up this amazing organisation to support um, all involved, really. So for me, my criminological influences were both theoretical, but then in terms of activists, you know, so the kind of... And not let's not forget also the whole you know, um, activists cam and campaigning around violence against women, because one of the major issues for me back then was safety, safety and violence. And that was just so apparent, you know. Um, and so feminists who were writing about sexual and domestic violence, intimate partner violence, male violence against women, so Betsy Stanko, Jalna Hammer, Jill Radford, um, they were all really crucial for me in terms of, you know, 
I guess developing a criminological imagination. Pat Carlin's work, fabulous, 1983, she published life stories with four women um, who were former prisoners. Um, just really nuanced, critical work, you know, that um, maybe helps us to think differently about, you know, and transgress the stereotypes around women and crime, and obviously prostitution in particular. Um, so that's the feminists. And then um, the sort of second range of work um, is the culture, what became cultural criminology. Um, so Jock Young, um, Roger Matthews, Mike Presty, Mike was a friend, dear friend, um, Keith Hayward, um, and Jeff Ferrell in the States. So again, it was very sort of male-oriented, but um, I really like this combination, particularly in Jeff's work, of a sort of symbolic interactionist approach, very ethnographic approach, um, and, um, you know, the real influence of the Birmingham School of Cultural Studies, so the work of Stuart Hall um, in particular, um, you know, to think about the way um, power operates, um, the relationship between class, race, um, and um, I guess, you know, sort of state power, um, ideology, the workings of hegemony. Um, so those, they're kind of two, the two main influences, feminist work and the Birmingham School for Cultural Criminology, but also importantly, ethnographic symbolic interactionism. Um, and for me, the work of the Chicago School. Was there any other work that influenced your work? Um, well, there are two people who stand out for me in my initial, um, my initial work on, on, on sex work, really, and on violence against women. Um, the first person is Jana Hamner, uh, who was um, based in women's studies at Bradford. Um, uh, and I did my MPhil at Bradford in interdisciplinary human studies. Um, but I came across Jana as a member of the Violence Against Women's Study Group of the British Sociological Association, as a very young, um, very young um, PhD student. Um, and Jalna and Jalna Hamler and Sheila Saunders did the first ever community-based study of violence against women. And it was called Well-Founded Fear, a community study of violence to women. Um, and they knocked on doors and interviewed women. I mean, it was an amazing project. You know, it was pioneering um, at that time, you know, to open a space for women's voices and actually to go around doing, you know, kind of door-to-door, -door, you know, kind of interviews in women's homes about, about their experience of violence. Um, and they interviewed, it was carried out in Leeds, and they interviewed something like 129 women. Um, and they asked about violence and sexual abuse they'd encountered in the previous year. Um, Betsy Stanko's work was really important. Betsy Stanko had arrived in the UK um, and she had had experience of harassment and she'd called it out um, and she'd come to the UK um, and she kind of really applied her academic and her activist you know personas to um, addressing violence against women and just was a real leading light of the study group. Um, she went on to um, lead the, um, well, be a leading person, a senior person on sort of methodology, research and um, impact in um, the, um, the police, Metropolitan Police, um, and also had a role in the Mayor's Office for Policing and Crime in London as well. I think she was something like head of evidence or head of research and evidence. Um, 
But another feminist that I'd like to mention is Jill Radford as well. You know, her edited collection, Femicide, was just pioneering work. You know, it was about saying this is the, the reality and calling it out and saying, what do we do about this? So those, you know, that work, that early work on violence against women was really important. I mean, particularly, I suppose, as a feminist, you know, in terms of being part of that study group for the BSA, but also given the endemic violence I met when, um, the endemic experience of violence I met when I interviewed women on the street. Um, and just, can I just give you one example, which was a very personal experience. I, myself and Karen were out one night on outreach um, and a guy, we were talking to a woman and a guy came very suddenly past us, grabbed the woman and pinned her against a wall and of course she was screaming um, and we weren't sure, he, he had um, a weapon, we weren't quite sure what it was, it was kind of glinting, um, probably because we were there you know, he, he left her and he went. He, I think he tore her gold cross and chain off her. Um, and she was, you know, completely in bits. Um, and I have to say, you know, we were not much better having witnessed that. It was really shocking. Um, so what happened after that? We called it in. Um, we didn't hear anything. And then we were called to give evidence in a court case. Um, a police car was sent to collect us. She had to make her own way you know, two relatively middle-class women, you know, professionals, you know, I was working at Trent at the time, Karen was working for sexual health. Um, we were, a car was sent to collect us to take us to the court. She didn't show, surprise, surprise, you know, what would have happened to her if she had. This guy was serious and dangerous um, and was known. Um, and we believed that the only reason it came to court is because they wanted him for other issues. Um, and it, it wasn't, you know, because really sex workers are a disposable population. John Lohman has written really eloquently about that, the disposable nature of sex workers. If we look at the law and, you know, kind of um, the responsibility or not taken by, um, you know, the criminal justice system in, re in responding to violence against sex workers. Um, the court was, there was another court, um, court date and this time it was in Leicester. Um, and again, we were taken to Leicester. Um, we were actually quite nervous about appearing, you know, to give evidence, but we obviously would, would do it. Um, and then um, we didn't have to in the end because, um, you know, I can't remember what happened. We accepted the charges or, or a deal was made or whatever. Um, but that really stood out in my mind, you know, that she could not, of course she could not attend and give evidence against him, you know what would happen to her as a consequence. And yet, you know, the two women who witnessed it, um, a car was sent to collect us to ensure we got there, you know, in a timely matter. And we were really supported. We were not the ones who needed support. We could get there on our own steam. Um, so that's just an example, you know, of why I, I suppose, you know, I feel very passionate about the rights of women. How would you describe your research area? Ooh, um, so my research area, well, I was, well, I've got, there are three substantive research areas. First of all, obviously sex work. Since 1989, I've continued to do work in that area, you know, both theoretical um, adv advocacy work, 
um, and very much participatory biographical work and of course arts-based. Um, my kind of initial degree, you know, was a combination of sociology and art practice. And although I have never really embraced or spoken or, you know, developed a narrative around the arts-based stuff, it's absolutely central to my work. Um, you know, it's pretty much 99% of my work is both arts-based and participatory. Um, so I guess my, you know, my development way back from my undergraduate degree um, really has influenced the, the direction and trajectory of subsequent work, you know, the importance of art really. Um, but, so sex work, um, migration, predominantly forced migration, working on the issues around asylum and migration, uh, belonging, um, and then thirdly, thirdly, methodological. So I think, you know, I've made methodological contributions in relation to arts-based work and in coining, you know, and developing this concept um, that I call ethnomimesis, so a combination of ethnographic work and arts-based work. Um, so, and that, you know, working with artists, we can often reach a much better understanding of social issues and social problems. Um, you know, the kind of, um, I guess the frisson of working at the borders of disciplines as well um, is great, you know, so working with um, kind of cultural theorists or um, people who are psychologists or into psychosocial work, um, anthropologists and artists, I think that kind of combination of interdisciplinary work can really, um, you know, produce something new and, yeah, hopefully change paths and change minds <laughs> in relation to some of these issues. So, yeah. Can you tell me about the research that led to the publishing of Prostitution and Feminism? Yeah, sure. That was the, uh, the, well, the spark was the initial work in Nottingham in 1989. Um, so in that work, um, that project, that very small project, um, I went on the street to talk to women. And um, as, I as I said, I, was, I did that work, that very ethnographic work with Karen Hughes, who was a kind of, I would define her as a collaborator really in those early days. Um, and once I had got a sense of women's experiences, then I talked to the agents of the state, if you like, thinking back to my 1989 self, I was very much in the realm, in the frame of, you know, sort of Marxist feminism, Western Marxism. Um, so again, you know, the work of Adorno, Benjamin, Althusser, Gramsci. Um, uh, and, but it, I mean, at that point in time, I was describing it as women-centered work. And it wasn't until probably in 91 I met um, Richard Harvey Brown at a conference in, um, in Washington um, that I was introduced to participatory action research, you know, the sort of um, methods from the South, really, from the Global South, so the work of Orlando Falls Border. I'd, I'd already come across Paolo Freire during my education degree and really liked that work and that sort of participatory spirit of the work. Um, so... So that early work was really, I guess, the fledgling um, product <laughs> um, or output. You know, that became my, my sort of, you know, my, my entire frame, really. You know, um, participatory, ethnographic, um, and underpinned by, you know, 
theoretical work which is about challenging sexual and social inequalities and promoting social justice. So, for example, uh, when I went, I mean, I can remember, you know, it feels as clear as day is telling me about this now, but I remember going out on the street with Karen and meeting women who had, you know, been imprisoned for sex work offences, for non-payment of fines, um, who'd experienced all, had experienced violence, endemic violence from partners or clients or passers-by, um, who had had children removed when they went into prison, taken into local authority care and not returned because they were deemed unfit mothers. So, you know, the kind of issues women experienced as a consequence of selling sex on street. And also at that point, it was the, I guess, the AIDS crisis or what was de defined as the AIDS pandemic, you know, meant that public health were funding projects. And so Karen's work was really then fed into the development of a much bigger outreach and also drop-in service in Nottingham around sexual health, sort of sexual health funding. That really sort of impacted, I think. Um, but at that time, you know, I did meet women who would go out and do sex work before Christmas or for birthdays. So they'd do a bit of street work or a bit of work in the house, you know. Um, obviously, at that time, the internet wasn't, you know, things have shifted so, you know, have shifted beyond recognition, really. You know, the kind of issues of drug use um, as well. So, so that research really kind of fired me up <laughs> and I thought I can't go back to just doing theoretical work, I now have to continue on this. And so I, although I was writing up my PhD on Adorno's aesthetics of modernism and feminist aesthetics, I talked to my supervisor and said I'm going to have to change the tack because, you know, this is really, um, this is really important, I really want to do this. So I then embarked on a PhD um, uh, on feminist, or what was it called? Transformative possibilities for conducting feminist participatory action research with female prostitutes, a bit of a long-winded title. Um, but that became the PhD. Um, that became Prostitution and Feminism. Um, but I didn't lose the work that I had conducted on Adorno's work and on, on Benjamin, but mostly Adorno, because that was published as Adorno Culture and Feminism in 99. So that really was my first publication. Uh, the book on Adorno, uh, and it was a fem feminist analysis of Adorno, uh, you know, looking at him to say, looking at his work to say, you know, what has Adorno got to say to feminism? Um, and so, you know, thinking about ideology critique and negative dialectics, um, but also importantly, the transformative role of art. Um, so those, they have been three strands through my subsequent research. But prostitution and feminism came out of the PhD that came, the this, the sort of second PhD <laughs> that came out of the street-based work um, for Nottingham Safer Cities. But what I'm, I guess what I'm most proud of in terms of that project, and again, you know, coming back to a, a sort of Western Marxist critical theory approach, is that that research, um, the way that was, that, that was kind of developed and delivered was to bring stakeholders into a multi-agency forum so it was actually the first multi-agency forum in Nottingham um, before that kind of network-based governance and, and network-based politics, you know, took root. Um, it was the first multi-agency forum. Um, it was the first multi-agency forum that had sex workers as equal partners. And it had, you know, all stakeholders present, including magistrates, which was really, um, you know, kind of 
Well, yeah. So, um, so that was that led that. But so I'm really proud of that. And we had a revolving chair, so it wasn't the academic owning it. And I, I didn't even consider myself an academic, you know, because I was um, hadn't even finished my PhD or had was doing a PhD that had now diverted to do, you know, into something else or relatively so. What's the most influential piece you have published and why? I think probably Prostitution and Feminism. Um, I mean, Adorno Culture and Feminism was the first feminist text on Adorno's work. And, um, and in it are probably the most um, fabulous feminist scholars working and writing on Adorno and Notabenyume. Um, it was an edited collection. Um, but Prostitution and Feminism, because it was a kind of blueprint, I suppose, for my subsequent work, um, it was also defined as the origin of the development, uh, the origin of contemporary criminal, uh, contemporary feminist work on, um, on prostitution. Um, so it was, you know, a kind of um, a significant text uh, it combined, you know, theoretical analysis with ethnography, uh, sort of interpretive ethnography, as Norman Denzin would say, um, and also praxis, because it, um, you know, the, the PhD was participate was in was absolutely underpinned by participatory action research, um, and you know, so as a co so I was just thinking about the outputs from that, you know, these neoliberal terms we use like outputs as though they're units of, but actually, you know, the, the 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 impact or the praxis that emerged from that research was the first project that looked at options for sex workers. So I generated European funding. So it's my first European funding bid, uh, but it was done in collaboration with this great guy at Nottingham Trent, and I can't remember his name now. He's a consultant, um, and it was a massive it was a massive risk for the university. Um, because you know how the, these kind of European funds operate. You know, if you, you, well, I worked with PAL, Prostitutes Outreach Workers, so they were a sex worker, former sex worker led organisation supporting women in, in sex work. Um, we developed the, an options project um, called, um, well, I think we just called it the options project, um, but it was, we had careers events. Um, organised childcare, um, women took courses. So it was really saying, you know, non-judgmental, you know, uh, absolutely non-judgmental. However, there are, you know, there are, um, you have options, you know, and you can do training, other kinds of training if you want to. So, I mean, the one that stands out most in my mind is a woman who took her HGV licence. Um, so, you know, um, I went on to do truck driving. Um, but but lots of the kind of usual things you might think about, you know, like sort of, um, I guess, beauty, massage, you know, those kind of related areas. Um, but yeah, some really great, um, I met some great people as a consequence of that who were really committed, you know, who came and who delivered um, workshops and had tables of just giving information in a completely non-judgmental way. Um, and also we created a post for a woman who... Um, she became the options worker and so she did outreach and you know took leaflets out and encouraged women to think about you know if they wanted to learn something else if they wanted to do something else learn language anything um, so that 
emerged out of the out of the work, um, and again in collaboration with others. So my work has always been collaborative. What are you currently working on? Um, well, I'm currently working on um, with three projects. Um, one I'll talk about in a minute: um, the borders, risk, and belonging. Um, the arts-based and walking, theatre-based and walking-based research. The other two projects, um, one I'm, um, I'm a co-I, uh, but I feel more like I'm supporting it rather than actively involved in it, uh, because I'm now in Ireland rather than in North Yorkshire. Um, but it's a project that is looking at police liaison workers um, around, in, involved, in, in relation to sex work in North Yorkshire. Um, the second is an amazing project. Um, I mean, they're all amazing, but this one is particularly amazing because it's methodology. Um, and I'm co-I, but really sort of, I'm working in an advisory capacity and, um, and have supported the, methodolo the methodology training and I'll support the analysis by running, holding, sharing some analysis workshops in the coming month. Um, and the, sec so the second project is the East London project. And it's a project, um, um, that is organised by um, Pippa Gwenfell um, and colleagues at the London School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine. Uh, and it's looking at um, modelling decriminalisation of sex work in two London boroughs by using sort of ethnographic work, um, other sort of mainstream methods, um, but importantly, mathematical modelling. Um, don't ask me a question about that because you know I will <laughs> learn about that through the workshops that we're about to have and I understand a little bit more through the advisory um, meetings that we've had but that project is really pioneering because you know in order to, well to imagine through rigorous social research what de decriminalisation will mean and look like in two London boroughs uh, will have massive um, you know, potential impact on uh, policy uh, and thinking about policy in relation to sex work. Um, I mean, you might know that the sort of there is a real feminist uh, in terms of feminist approaches, but actually in terms of approaches anyway, there are public, you know, kind of lay public knowledge. There are kind of two main approaches to addressing sex work. Um, one is um, sex work is violence against women. And it should, there's zero tolerance. You know, it shouldn't be. It shouldn't happen. We need to somehow, you know, phase it out. Um, although that is not possible. <laughs> um, and then secondly, that we need to recognise that uh, for many women, men, trans workers, um, selling sex is labour, uh, and it, so it should be recognised as such and decriminalised. Um, and so they're the kind of two major pro approaches. So this, this research will really give us some evidence to say, look, this is what um, decriminalisation will mean. At least that's the hope anyway. Mm. Um, and then a third project I'm doing, uh, another small project I'm doing, which is a sort of leftover from my last posters, uh, working with um, the fabulous Rosie Campbell um, to evaluate the um, Red Umbrella project in Merseyside. So Red Umbrella is a... Um, wonderful organisation um, in Liverpool that uh, supports uh, sex workers um, in relation to health but also um, migrant workers 
Um, so sexual health, um, but they also, the, in Merseyside, Merseyside were the first um, police um, authority um, to introduce um, hate crime um, as a, as a, well, to, to introduce um, addressing violence against sex workers by treating it as a hate crime. And so this project is really, um, has developed it was, there's a whole history in Merseyside, a whole history of radical politics, which is fantastic. Um, and so it's no wonder that they're the first policing authority to, you know, to, to take this and um, really address violence as a hate crime when it comes to sex workers, which has led to, you know, an increase in women's, women feeling a, able to report, uh, but also in um, prosecutions as well. Um, which is fantastic. So that's another little project that's on the go. What are you currently working on? So currently, um, I'm currently working um, with um, Umut Ewell, Tracy Reynolds and Oreni Kapdani um, a, on a project funded by um, the ESRC and the National Centre for Research Methods. Um, and it is a project, we've, we called it PASAR, <laughs> Participatory Arts Research, uh, or Participatory Action and Arts-Based Research. Um, and we are working with uh, migrant mothers, migrant girls, and mothers with no recourse to public funds, so three groups, um, using theatre-based methods and walking methods. So a kind of integration of Irini's practice and my own practice um, I'm a member of the Walking Artists Network and um, have been using, walk, working with, thinking about walking as a method um, for more than a decade, um, inspired initially by a fantastic walking artist, um, theatre maker practitioner called uh, Misha Myers, and then work of other women walking artists, Dee Hedden and Claire Qualman in particular. Um, so, um, so that's the kind of practice that I've been developing methodologically, but also in relation to arts-based work. Um, although I have worked with theatre and with dance, dancers as well in the past, um, and visual artists, photographers. Um, so, but this project um, has—I mean, it, it has been um, challenging, and it has been absolutely wonderful. So the project is formally over. We have another bidding to extend the work. Um, but the reason why um, I, I love this project so much is that because it has challenged me and it has helped me develop another way of being in relation to methods, using theatre-based methods, and another way of thinking about the relationship between arts-based methods, critical theory and social change. Um, so the project has led to a toolkit for researchers that can be found on the NCRM website. Um, there's links to it on Umut's webpage as well. I need to organise that for my own here. Um, and so not only so not only is there a toolkit for for researchers, but we will we've had one article out um, in the recent Journal of Crossings, uh, looking at um, borders, risk, and belonging in relation to women's lives and. Um, challenges for arts-based research methods in understanding the lives of women with no recourse to public funds and women asylum seekers who we define or who might who could be defined as at the borders of humanity you know so really you know kind of 
um, without welfare support, destitute essentially. Um, so we're producing academic outputs, but the biggest, um, I guess, impact for me of the work is first of all doing some training in um, theatre methods. Do a, I, I did a week-long training in theatre methods. We all did. We had to start the project, you know, so we were all um, on the same page, I guess, in relation to theatre, in relation to the theatre-based work, but also so we could feel how the participants might feel when they're doing this research, you know, um, and to set up um, a methodological framework for the project, which meant that we were walking, working side by side, not having power over. So we, we and Irini, the theatre practitioner who worked with us, um, was fantastic at, at this. Um, but creating a space in the research, in the research workshops, where we were not the powerful researchers, but rather were women working with other women who happened to be migrants or mothers with no recourse to public funds, side by side. You know, we, there was no authority taken. Um, we tried as much as possible to develop a subject-subject relationship in the research, in the research workshops. Um, and so we took part in the exercises, the theatre making, the walking, um, and what emerged from that was obviously lots of amazing material that we're working through and writing papers on. But the raw material for the toolkit to enable other researchers to use these methods. Um, but then thirdly, the third group of women we worked with, mothers with no recourse to public funds, they kind of coalesced into a group of their own, a sort of self-organised group, and are taking the work beyond now. So they have presented the work, the performances they, they developed with Irini um, at the House of Commons. Um, we organised a, um, a policy day for policymakers, um, and this was part of the research. So part of the research project was a policy day where they would they really hosted dialogue groups of policymakers to share the research and their experiences of being involved in the work and their stories, basically. It was really about their storytelling. Um, we then organised an event at the House of Commons, um, collaborating with Kate Green, who was the chair of the All Parliamentary Group on Migration. And so again, the women performed their, um, their work um, and took part in that event at the House of Commons. And they've since gone on to share their work at the Arcola Theatre and community groups um, and have been supported by Irene, but in a, in a way that, you know, it's there, they are taking this forward. So that, yeah, I mean, this is why this is probably, you know, the most um, important research, you know. And, it, and for me, it, it kind of follows, um, you know, decades of work on migration, working with artists, um, but I, but what I've loved about this is learning about theatre more because I have worked with Open Class, the feminist theatre company in the northeast, um, around migration, but also um, violence against women. Um, but being involved, you know, actually being involved in the workshops, you know, taking part um, and learning through the sort of image-based theatre work and the body work, that's been fabulous. Um, Storytelling is an important part of your research. Why is storytelling important, do you think? Well, first of all, it connects with 
the ethnographic approach for me, you know, that you are, you try and situate yourself in the position of your research participants or your collaborators. And how we do that is through listening and understanding. Um, and also, you know, doing, when we do empirical research, when we do ethnographic research, you know, people, people tell us stories. Um, there may be, you know, stories in relation to the particular issue we're focusing upon. Um, so, for example, you know, working with women on the street, they would tell me about their working lives. Um, but also, in the process of telling me about their working lives, they would also tell me about their more personal lives, you know, their children, their accommodation, the issues around health, you know. Um, and so, uh, for me, storytelling is really, really important. It's, it underpins qualitative social research, it underpins ethnographic and anthropological research. You know, we observe and we take note of the um, our surroundings, our environment, the sort of sensory dimensions of the situation we're in, but how we connect to people's lives is through interviews or life story methods. Um, so I, I mentioned that the Chicago School were really important for me, and that period, you know, the in I mean I, I was chair of the biographical research network of the European Sociological Association for some years, both vice chair and then chair, now a board member. Um, but that research network focuses on European biographies or the kind of perspectives we might take on our identities as Europeans um, through biographical sociology. And biographical sociology has its basis, you know, is rooted in Chicago sociology and predominantly the work of Thomas and Zaniki, terrible pronunciation of the, um, you know, fantastic Polish author, co-author, um, but the Polish peasant, published in five volumes between 1918 and 1920, um, was really the story of Polish migration, told through one life story interview, Ladek, well, one biography, Ladek, and then letters and diaries of migrants, families' letters, and, um, and also other kind of archival materials, documentary materials. Um, and the, the Chicago School, William Foot White's Street Corner Society, you know, um, the gang, um, you know, that work that really told really rich stories of people's lived experiences, um, you know, the marginalised, the marginalised basically, um, but told through the power of storytelling. So I think storytelling has an incredible power in society. You know, if you were to, in fact, Walter Benjamin writes that in The Storyteller, which is a really lovely short story, um, a really short piece of work um, in The Storyteller, he says the storytelling holds a, a primary role in the household of humanity and a fragment of a story can tell us so much more than 100 pages of information about a life. That captures it, don't you think? You know, you just kind of do a life story interview with someone um, or a partial life story interview um, and you can just understand. Um, Stuart Hall has this term conjunctural analysis and I think that stories operate in that way. You know, if you're doing interviews with people, sex workers, for example, or migrant women or undocumented women, um, you know, that you're, do you're hearing their story but you're hearing their story within particular social, economic, political and cultural circumstances and a particular landscape. 
And so their story can really speak of the social, cultural, political. And you can get a sense of, I think, what Stuart Hall calls conjunctural analysis. You know, um, and again, you know, um, for him, um, impacted by and influenced by Gramsci, Gramsci's work, um, but also Marx, um, and, and profoundly cultural work. So for me, you know, representing story, that, and this is really what my first project on migration did. I worked with a Bosnian community, um, 1998, worked with a Bosnian community in the East Midlands, uh, doing life story interviews, but also then working with artists to enable some of the people who gave their life story interviews to reproduce those life story interviews in visual artistic form. And that we could then get those arts-based that arts-based work out to a much broader audience and change hearts and minds and prejudice and anti-migration, you know, anti-refugee or anti-Bosnian feeling, um, which was, uh, you know, as you can imagine, was profound, um, but not as bad as the current state of affairs in relation to anti-migration sentiment and, you know, what has come to develop in, certainly in the UK, as the hostile environment. Um, but coming back to stories, I think, you know, um, that for me is really the importance of stories and storytelling. So it connects methodologically, personally, but also to that notion of praxis, you know, that through listening and understand, through listening we can achieve understanding. And that, and that might make us change our mind about, you know, prejudice against migrants and asylum seekers or prejudice against sex workers. Um, we can get a much, and we get a much stronger sense sociological criminological sense of um of people's being in the world um that can help us develop a critique of society um in order for me to change it um but i but for me also you know the kind of visualizing or representing stories more visually can help us share this work beyond academia um and so have real um you know impact i guess in in wider society to challenge people's thinking. How do you see the field of criminology in Ireland? What's next? Um, well, as you know, I'm new to the field, um, but I think the conference in September, the North-South Conference in September, I'll get a stronger, better feel for, um, for the field of criminology in Ireland. Um, the development of a society rather like the you know the um, sociological association of Ireland it would be great if there were a criminological association of Ireland um, more networking collaboration mutual support um, there is a network um, Irish criminology research network uh, and I've just emailed them to, to, to join that network um, but I guess you know that for me is yeah, I mean, you know, f feeling my way, finding my way, and um, yeah, collaborating. I think going into the future. How do you see the strengths and weaknesses of criminology? Um, I think first of all, um, you know, don't. Well, just thinking about what's happening in the UK. So, th you know, so if we think about Ireland in relation to criminology and other um, and other places and other locations, I would say don't follow the ref. Um, don't get caught up in audit culture. Um, keep critical um, and foster collaboration, not competition. Um, and so I think, you know, we need to work together to create change. And, you know, it's, so collaboration is really important. 
I guess the other thing, so you know, not getting territorial. Um, and I guess the other issue for criminology is, you know, criminology is a discipline. You know, it has grown to be a discipline in its own right. Um, but it has been, um, it has been argued that, you know, it's a field of study, not a discipline. Um, it's a meeting of disciplines. Um, and so I think, um, again, you know, I think criminology is um, mature enough, um, you know, to outline and outline its disciplinary underpinnings, you know, its theoretical and methodological underpinnings. Um, but at the same time, it shouldn't lose sight of the collaborative work from different disciplines and its parent discipline, sociology. You know, it shouldn't lose sight of that. Um, and again, you know, collaboration. You know, we kind of think, when we think about criminology, we think about sociology, law, politics, anthropology, psychology. Um, yeah, so I think, you know, collaborative interdisciplinary work is great, but, but also there needs to be a sort of, um, I guess, a framing of what criminology is um, and, you know, what are its kind of key principles and underpinnings theoretically, methodologically, um, and yeah, sort of keep critical and be collaborative. So what's different about criminology? Uh, I think what's really important about criminology is the interventionary potential of criminology. You know, people are working on issues of crime and justice, marginalised, with marginalised groups, you know, addressing sexual and social inequalities. But the, the aim is not just to understand, the aim is to change. So it's, you know, the change-causing gesture of criminology. That is what's really important, I think. Who are the Irish researchers whose work is important for criminology? Um, um, okay, so, well, obviously, colleagues here at UCC. <laughs> um, and, you know, as I understand it, this is the first, you know, BA criminology in, um, in Ireland. Um, the development of the Inside Out pro programme will be another first for Ireland. And then, you know, the colleagues here in the department, so James's, James Windle's new work on music, Katharina's work on youth justice and cultural analysis, um, Theresa's work on gender and state violence, um, and of course, all his work on post-conflict and on terrorism and international security studies. So I think here in UCC, you know, there's fantastic work um, being undertaken, very important for criminology, and not just criminology in Ireland, but criminology globally, actually. Further afield, um, I'm really, I really admire the work of Eilish Ward at Galway, um, Gillian Wiley at Trinity, both on sex work, um, Sharon Fitzgerald in Munich, but a UCC graduate, um, her work on trafficking, and Sharon leads the Irish Sex Work Research Network. Um, she's chair of that. Uh, Paul Ryan and May Meath, his work on male sex work. Um, Leanne Sweeney at Sligo and Graham Ellison in Belfast. So thinking all Ireland, um, you know, the work of Graham Ellison in Belfast and Teresa Dejanet in, I probably pronounced that wrong, but, um, but her work in Belfast too. Um, there's just amazing work. And of course, um, Shad Maruna's work, um, you know, his work on desistance and narrative methodology, which, um, you know, obviously my own work on biographical sociology um, connects with that and then of course the fabulous Phil Scraton as well who's you know um, pioneering work in the wake of Hillsborough 
is just, um, you know, fantastic, really. Um, and, and obviously, you know, his writings around imprisonment as well. Um, so I guess that's, you know, if I just... Oh, they're the people I can think of off the top of my head, but I'm new to Irish Queenology um, and hope that I can make a contribution as well. Professor Maggie O'Neill, University College Cork, thank you very much for taking part in our podcast series. We appreciate your time. Thank you, Helen. <laughs>